decrease and we surrender all to Him. Uh, go back to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would, and verse 26 through 39 is our uh, text uh, today. The recompense of reward or the recompense of judgment to where we're going to land on that one. Now, we've, we know from the Scripture, we see from the Scripture that all sin is serious sin. There's no, there's no sin that is not serious. Um, one, one doesn't have to reach a certain level in commission of sins to be labeled a sinner, does he? Uh, we find James says that if we have keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, we are guilty of all. We're lawbreakers. So it's not like a, a video game where you, you get to a certain level and you get a certain status. No, the status that you and I have, and we're born into the world sinners. We're born with a sin nature. Only three have not come into the world with a sin nature. Only three, Adam and Eve, were two, but they... Uh, they uh, had, they developed a sin nature. They, they uh, became sinners and therefore had a sin nature because of a choice they made to sin. Uh, but then following after that, the Bible says that we inherited Adam's nature. We were born with that. We're born as sinners. We're not necessarily born sinning, but we're born with a sin nature. And Scripture talks about we go from our mother's womb speaking lies, and so uh, certainly we're born with that uh, sin nature, and uh, only Adam and Eve uh, that didn't enter in the beginning with the sin nature, they had it, but then only the Lord Jesus Christ uh, did not have and does not have a sin nature, and so our sin separated us from God, our sin had to be atoned for by the sacrifice of our Savior. But still it is clear, even though every sin is serious and that uh, the degree of sin is not what makes us a sinner, every sin, the first sin we sin, the first sin we're capable of sinning and knowing it uh, makes, us, uh, makes it clear to us that we are a sinner. Even before we know we're a sinner, we're a sinner. And so uh, certainly uh, Paul discusses this in the book of Romans chapter 4 and 5 and 6. If you'll read through there, you'll understand that uh, Paul looked back on a time in his life when he wasn't aware that he was a sinner, but the time came when sin came to life for him. That is, uh, he, use, he uses the terminology this way. He said, sin revived and I died. And so it came to a place in his life where sin came to life in him and he knew it was sin. He willfully chose to sin, knowing it was sin. And uh, because of that, Sin came to life, and his spirit in him died. And so uh, he is in the condition of needing to be born again, needing the spirit to be revived, to be brought to life. And so all of us experience that. Thank God that for little children that die before that age of recognizing the reality of sin in their life, even though they're sinners, they're not held to account for sin uh, where no law is, uh, there's no account for sin. Uh, he explains that in the book of Romans as well, where we don't understand that and have not the conception of that, where we uh, aren't uh, old enough, mature enough to recognize that as little children. We uh, die in a condition that uh, is safe, not saved necessarily, but safe. And we're in the presence of the Lord. Any child has died before that age of accountability is in the presence of the Lord because the Accountability for sin comes when we recognize 
the, uh, sin in our life, when we come to the age where we understand what is right and wrong and we do wrong of our own will. So in the meantime, uh, we all deal with this sin nature, but uh, certainly the Scripture makes it plain that some sins are greater than other sins. We have heard it preached that uh, you know all sin is sin and all sinners are uh, guilty of the, the sin of being sinners, and so we've certainly heard all of that, but uh, there are degrees of sin. Some sins are greater than others. Jesus spoke of this when He uh, confronted His generation there of um, the leaders of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders of the Jews, and, um, he, uh, and they rejected His uh, message. Uh, he said uh, that they had the greater sin than even the sin of Sodom, and Gomorrah. The reason was they had greater light and they openly to the face rejected the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Sodomites, the, uh, those of Gomorrah, though their sin were grievous and horrible and awful and judged by God with fire from heaven, though that was so, Jesus said that the sin of these uh, self-righteous Pharisees was the greater sin. So uh, that uh, indication, and you'll find it several times, a number of times in the Scripture where there's indications of degrees of difference <coughs> in sin. But there are also greater degrees of punishment that we just read about today. The text calls this recompense. The word recompense is uh, it's like when a jury gives a compensation for an award, gives a compensation for an award to a, to a plaintiff, and, uh, and uh, it is done... Um, uh, it is done uh, in, in uh, relationship to the defendant in the case. If he's found guilty of c causing injury to the plaintiff, then uh, a judgment is passed, and then there is a recompense made. There's a requirement for him to uh, pay a recompense. There's fines to pay. There's uh, prison time, perhaps. There's things that are the recompense of his deed, the response of uh, the the righteous, the judge, to declare him guilty and to uh, cause him to pay the restitution, the recompense. So uh, now there are judgments that are greater or lesser according to the seriousness of the crime. There are times where multi-million dollar judgments are awarded because the jury feels that the seriousness of the crime justifies it. Other times where a small amount is uh, declared fair, compensation for the crime. And so we see that uh, illustrated, that idea of recompense illustrated in our own uh, system of jurisprudence. But let's look first of all at the recompense of judgment as we read about it in verse 26 through 30, uh, the recompense of judgment. With the increased exposure to the truth of God's Word, we see that there's an increased responsibility and increased and increased accountability for us to respond to it. So uh, there's a difference in the recompense of judgment with those that have clearly heard the truth of the gospel and the word of God and those that have been more fully exposed to the truth are going to be held to a higher level of responsibility, a higher level of accountability. There are those that are in places in the world where their access to the truth of the Scriptures is very limited, almost unknown. We, uh, we often agonize over those and 
uh, and uh, have the sense that uh, it isn't fair. There's some who are in places where they've never heard a preacher, they've never seen a Bible. It isn't fair that they, that they uh, are still held to account. But the book of Romans in uh, the first couple of chapters answers that question for us. The scripture makes it clear that, uh, as we talked about this morning, that the light of the truth has shined on all men and that he gives all persons the uh, sense of a conscience that tells them that there is right and wrong. There is a great judge in the universe that will judge them uh, and that there is, if we'll seek uh, and we'll knock and we'll ask, there'll be a door open. And so uh, we have the scripture telling us that. We have the Bible telling us that there's another messenger. There's the messenger of creation pointing everyone to the truth of a creator. So even those that don't have the scripture have some light, uh, some light there. They have creation and they have conscience. But you and me have a far greater opportunity here in America and in Europe and in uh, places where the scripture has long been a, a, um, a staple where the Word of God has long been available, you and I in our nation, in our cultures, in the, uh, in the cultures of the world that have these opportunities. You think of China. Did you know that China prints more Bibles than any other country in the world? Uh, this is true. Uh, there, there is, the Word of God is available in places that, uh, that we wouldn't think it was available. Uh, and with the with the advent of the internet and the World Wide Web and so forth, the Word of God is uh, available in more broad scale than ever it has been before. And yet, uh, for those of us here living in our kinds of culture, our exposure to the truth of the Word of God is far, far greater. And as a result of that, our responsibility and accountability to God is far, far greater than it would be to a tribal uh, people in the jungles of New Guinea or in the heart of Africa or in some of these places where they are not as readily exposed to the truth as we are. So that's what he's referring to here. He says uh, uh, this, this sinning willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth. And he says we willfully sin after we receive the knowledge of the truth. Some bad things happen. Willful sinning. You see, uh, none of you, none of us is forced to sin. No one is forced to sin. You may be held at gunpoint and told to do something that is sin, uh, but you have, still have the choice. You can die without sinning. Uh, and uh, you and I, none of us is forced to sin. And I dare say that in our experience as uh, we've grown up in our life, there probably aren't any of us that could stand and say, I was forced at gunpoint to do sin, to do something wrong. Probably none of us have that testimony. But none of us is forced to sin, you know. We do have to die, but we don't have to sin. We choose to sin. We choose to sin. And so if we sin willfully, after, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain 
fearful looking for of judgment, he says there. And he's talking of those that have been exposed to the truth of the gospel and turn their back and reject it and walk out the door without Christ. That's what we're talking about here. We sin willfully. We possess the ability to say no to temptations. Uh, we have that opportunity to say no to wrong and yes to the right. Uh, and now we Christians, we have an additional uh, aid to the, uh, to the ability to resist sin. We have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. And so we have no excuse. If we sin willfully as Christians, we have absolutely no excuse. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's warning us. The scripture says he warns us uh, of uh, these sins and he steers us and he guides us. He reminds us of the consequences of the actions of sin. We have the Holy Spirit, we believers. He brings us to remembrance of uh, the pertinent scriptures that relate to the temptation that we have. He, uh, he helps us along the way. He guides us. He shows us the way of escape. He guides us in the path of righteousness. He shows us the way that we're going and the way to get there. So all of that is something we as believers have, the advantage of the sinner in the world over. He, he's guilty. He's guilty of uh, willfully sinning, and he's held to account for it. But a Christian, for a Christian to sin, oh, there's a higher standard for you and me. Uh, for us to sin, we're, there's a higher level of responsibility for you and I. We have the Holy Spirit that we have to walk around when we sin against the Lord. I recall the, uh, the story of uh, Albert Einstein. He was uh, heading for a speaking engagement. He uh, was a professor at Princeton University, and he got aboard the train. And he was uh, out of the station and well down the way, and the conductor came through. He was punching the tickets and and uh, Einstein felt his vest pocket for the ticket, and he felt in his coat pocket, and he felt in his trousers, and he couldn't find the ticket, and uh, he was embarrassed about it. The conductor said, don't worry about it, Mr. Einstein. We know you bought a ticket, and, uh, and we know you paid for the ticket. You just uh, go ahead and, and uh, don't worry about it. And the conductor went on down, punching the tickets down to the end of the, that particular car that Einstein was on. He turned back, and uh, two-thirds of the way down where Einstein was sitting, he was out of his seat, and he was looking under the seat, and he was looking, feeling in the cushions there, and still trying to find his ticket. And so he came back, the conductor came back to Mr. Einstein and said, Mr. Einstein, I told you, we know you, we, we, we trust you, we believe you paid for the ticket, you don't, you don't need a ticket. He said, uh, uh, we know who you are, we know who you are. And he, he said, uh, I know who I am too, but I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> so, uh, so he's looking for that ticket, you know. <laughs> but for you and I, we have the Holy Spirit of God telling us where we're going and how we're going to get there. And thank God for that presence of the Holy Spirit of God. He guides us not only in the way we're going, but He guides us to the way of escape. You know, there's never a sin that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will with the sin make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He does that for us. Uh, write down and, and work on memorizing 1 Corinthians 10, 13 because it is so powerful, it is so valuable for a Christian in overcoming uh, the temptations for sin. It says there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. That means that whatever you're tempted with, others have gone through it. We, everybody's gone through it. Everybody's been tempted by it. It's common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able so he's going to make sure that nothing comes into your uh, plate, nothing comes into your life 
that is greater than, your, uh, than the grace of God for you to overcome it. He will not suffer. He won't allow you to be tempted above that you're able. But the, uh, the great promise of the passage is beyond that. It says, but will with the temptation, right along with it, while the temptation is coming, God's way of escape is also connected with it. It's connected with it. Uh, the devil hates that, that the way of escape always is connected to the temptation that he throws in your face. He said, God will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So no temptation that God doesn't paint you a door of escape out of. And you can, uh, you can, you can see that door. He'll show it to you. He'll help you to step uh, out of that way of, uh, of the temptation. So what a great advantage we believers have. And how much more accountable to God are we for living lives that uh, are overcoming sin? So there's, uh, there's no saving sacrifice provided for those who reject the truth of the gospel and still choose to live after their own will. Uh, after their own will. He says there's just, there's no, you know, there remaineth no more sacrifice for such a condition, such a situation. There is nothing left to, uh, to hope for, for that person that has willfully rejected. And then for the Christian who continues on in sin, uh, he is like the one who steps out from under the umbrella in a driving rainstorm. <laughs> He's like the one that uh, stands out in the open with a 10-foot metal rod in his hand in a lightning storm. You know? <laughs> That's the, the Christian that willfully continues on in sin when God has convicted him when the Holy Spirit has guided him when the way of escape has been provided for him and yet he walks over the top of all those things and stands in the midst of, uh, uh, of a field of judgment uh, certainly uh, that's a foolish position to get into and one that will uh, one that will give the devil every opportunity to uh, work his devices against the, the Christian the fiery darts of the evil one the Bible warns us of and that we have the, the, we have the armament to take care of those. We have the, uh, uh, the defensive um, uh, equipment to be able to overcome those and not to be, uh, not to be wounded and injured by those things in our, uh, in our walk, in our way, in our life. But if we willfully uh, continue in sin, we, we have no more right to expect God's blessing, God's help, God's protection, God's care than an unsaved person does. So we have it there. The judgment uh, for those that uh, have clearly heard the truth of the gospel and yet rejected that, uh, rejected that gospel is the, is the most severe of judgments. The judgment, because the, uh, because the accountability is greater, the, the punishment is also greater as well. Verse 29 uses this terminology of much sorer punishment. You might want to circle that. Much sorer punishment. That means that there are degrees of punishment. The degrees of punishment. I don't know what they are. I don't understand how, you know, there can be, uh, you know, hell and judgment and how that there can be those that are suffering less than others. I, I, I don't understand any of that. I can't explain that. The Bible does not give us all the details, but it does tell us that there are those that are going to suffer much sorer punishment than others, uh, that their accountability was greater and so their responsibility was greater, their rejection was more severe and more serious and they're going to have to answer to God. L look what those who reject are actually doing. It, it lists 
It lists what God, how God views those that hear the gospel and reject the truth of Christ, that uh, hear the truth and turn their back on the truth and go their own way. It, it, here's how God looks at that. Look at that thing down there in uh, verse 29, verse uh, 29, the second half there. Uh, he said, first of all, the, these, people, these people trample underfoot the Son of God. You can picture a man taking, now the, the Word of God is, a, is a, uh, a written form of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? You can picture a man that's going to trample under the foot the Son of God, and he's going to take that Bible, and he's going to throw it to the ground, and he's going to trample on it, he's going to tear the pages with the heel of his boot, and he's going to walk over it, and he's going to mock at it and laugh at that uh, book, and those that believe that book, he's going to... Uh, he's going to treat it that way, to trample underfoot the Son of God and the Word of God. That's the way God looked at those who willfully sin after that they've heard the truth of the gospel. It says that then they mock the sacrifice of the blood of the Savior. They make a mockery of the sacrificial blood of Christ. They make a joke out of it uh, like uh, some of our modern culture have done, putting a, a crucifix into a bottle of urine and calling it art making a mockery of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, uh, making a rock opera uh, after um, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and laughing and mocking at Christ. Uh, certainly we live in a culture that has found many, many ways to mock the blood of Jesus Christ and to sacrifice the sacrifice that he uh, gave for us. They do that. When, this is how God looks at those who willfully sin after having received the knowledge of the truth and rejecting it. They despise the Spirit of God and the grace of God which was extended to them. It's like they slap the hand of Christ when He reaches out in forgiveness to them. Uh, that is the way that the Father looks at the, uh, the seriousness of the rejection of the gospel by those that have heard and heard and heard again and continue to reject it. They're fulfilling the scripture that uh, Paul spoke of in Romans chapter 2 and verse 5. He said, But after thy hardness an impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is the reference to the recompense that will come upon those. And it says they're treasuring up the wrath of God. It's like a, a floodgate that is full to the brim. Uh, behind it is the wrath of God that's to be poured out on the sinful uh, man when, as he's rejected over and again, over and again, over and again. The Lord Jesus Christ with his impenitent, his unrepentant heart and has come to that place of the recompense time. It's time for the reward for your deeds. And so uh, certainly not a good place to be to fulfill that uh, scripture there. But I thank God that Although there's a recompense of judgment, he uh, turns the corner and he comes around to the other side of the issue and he shares with us the recompense of reward. And that's verse 32 and following. He says, but, and he's changing the tune here, he's changing the direction, but call to remembrance the former days after which you were illuminated. You, you were brought to the light. You were shown the light and you saw the light and you came to the light. Uh, you were illuminated. You endured great, a great fight of afflictions. You were made a gazing stock and reproach and affliction. And you became companions of those that were also going through those things, he says. Uh, and, and so uh, he talks about the recompense of reward. Uh, although the Christian 
life and the Christian walk is certainly not always easy. It's sure a whole lot easier than the walk of the flesh and the devil in the world. I tell you what, uh, you know, um, it's not a hard way. Uh, it's not uh, a difficult way in relationship to the way of judgment in hell, and certainly not. But the Christian life is a walk and not always an easy one, but there's a great recompense of reward that's associated with it. Paul reminds these brethren of that, of that truth, of their uh, coming to the light when they uh, heard the gospel. And he reminds them about the afflictions that they went through. He said, you know, you were made a gazing stock. That means people looked on you and mocked at you and made fun of you. A gazing stock. Yeah, that's what they uh, experienced as Christians in a culture like our culture that by and large had rejected the gospel and rejected the truth and embraced the false gods and embraced evolutionism and all of those things. Uh, uh, the, the culture then was really no different than it is now. Is looking for any God but the God that uh, the Bible declares. And so uh, you, you have these Christians coming out from all that culture, coming out and, uh, you know, standing for truth and changing their ways and being different and treating their um, people different, the uh, people that worked for them and with them, and then acting different if they were in the position of servants and uh, having then a, a heart of a servant. They were different. They were changed. They were uh, entirely uh, contrary to the culture in which they live. And as a result of that, they got uh, their share of mockery, their share of ridicule. As you as a Christian and I as a Christian have experienced in the course of our life, certainly we all know a little bit about, uh, you know, getting laughed at for, um, uh, for standing for the truth. We all uh, know a little bit of that, or if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. You will. The time will come. You'll uh, have that. You'll have it at school. you have it at work. You'll have it in situations where you're the only Christian there and you speak a word, you speak up, and you get shot down. Yeah, certainly you, you'll have that, but uh, that's what the gazing stock is, the mockery that comes. They, they were made a gazing stock. He said they suffered reproaches. They were, uh, they were reproached for their, uh, for their uh, testimony, for their faith. They suffered afflictions. All these things were true because they came out for Christ, but he said uh, don't concern yourself with that part of it because for every one of those things you suffer, there's a great recompense of reward. There's a, there's a compensation that's going to come back to you. But he tells us that the compensation won't necessarily come back here. And those that have done the wrongs to you won't necessarily, before your eyes, get their comeuppance. Uh, God's going to take care of that. Uh, by the way, don't be wishing for folks to get their comeuppance whenever they do you wrong. Don't be wishing for that. Uh, because God's vengeance is far more, uh, far more uh, um, uh, full and uh, and far more adequate for uh, the for their recompense than you can than you can give. And so, and by the way, you're a child of God. You're going to go to heaven. You you have a bank account in heaven. You're going to live eternally with Christ. And what you go through here on earth, what little bit of uh, gazing stock, what little bit of mockery, what little bit of rejection, what little bit of affliction, what little bit of reproach you go through is nothing compared to eternity. And you look at that lost person out there that's heaping those reproaches upon you, that's using that profanity, that's speaking in vanity, that's speaking lies. Uh, you don't want to wish anything uh, evil upon him. Let the Lord take care of that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And let the Lord take care of it. You know that, you think of, think of it this way, he's only got Whatever he's got in this life, that's all that guy has got. Uh, he's going to die, and he's going to face God in eternal judgment in hell. 
if he doesn't get saved. And so, uh, you know, don't wish him a bad day. <laughs> wish him a good day because he only has a few of them left uh, before he stands before God in judgment. So don't wish him a bad day. You know, pray for him. Pity him. Feel sorry for him if uh, he heaps uh, those things upon you and he becomes that, uh, that one that uh, the devil uses to try to discourage you. That's what we're talking about. There's a greater, a much greater account, a heavenly bank account. He, called, he says of this um, bank account there, he's, he mentions it down, uh, uh, what, verse uh, 32, uh, 33, 34. For uh, ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven. And notice it's a present tense uh, term there. You have, not you will have, but you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You notice too that it didn't say better and more enduring than you got. It said better and enduring. Enduring. It's not going to be something you spend up and it's gone. It's an enduring substance. Boy, if you find, a, if you find an investment that just keeps paying more interest and more interest and more interest and your principal is never touched and your principal just keeps growing and they keep sending you a check every month, you're loving that investment, man. You're... You're going with that one, and you're thinking, man, this is great as long as it lasts. But uh, as all of our experience has been, it doesn't always last very long, does it? And so, but this is an enduring substance that doesn't fade away. And uh, we have that bank account in heaven. He said, Paul said, you know, one of the things that he noted about him, he said, you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. But you notice what he connected it to. He said, you, you guys helped me in a time of need. Paul's uh, likely referring to, you know, his being ministered to when he was in uh, jail, in prison. One of the many times he was in jail, Paul knew the jails in the towns uh, that he visited as well as he knew the synagogues. And so uh, um, as he's talking about that, he said, you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. And the idea there is that they had some things and they, they gave them. They gave them willingly and even joyfully. As the, um, the scripture says, God loveth a cheerful giver. Paul referring to his, their ministry to him. And no doubt he's referring to their giving to others that he had along with him. Missionaries that came through. Missionaries that they helped. And uh, basically they, these missionaries took of their goods. They didn't take them by force. They didn't like an enemy come in and spoil them. But Paul uses that terminology in relationship to the fact that although they're going through all these afflictions and sorrows and difficulties and hardships, getting mocked of the world and, and getting laughed at, he said they, they, they did not let that discourage them from uh, being involved in giving uh, to the work of the needs of others and the needs of missionaries. You took spoil, uh, joyfully the spoiling of your goods uh, because you knew that uh, in heaven, the investment that you were making was going to come back again. You're going to see it again. It's going to be a recompense of reward. And so um, because that is so, here's what we are to do. And he lists what we are to do with this knowledge. We're to do these things in verse 35 and on down. He gives them to us. We're to keep our confidence in God. Uh, don't need to put much confidence in the direction of the economy because it may be good now and it may be really bad tomorrow. You don't need to put much confidence in the price of housing. It may be good now, maybe really bad tomorrow. Don't need to put much confidence in the security of your job uh, because you may have it today and gone tomorrow. But you can keep your confidence in God. Keep your confidence in the one that supplies uh, our every need. Cast uh, not away, therefore, your confidence, 
uh, which hath great recompense of reward. He says, keep your confidence in God. And then he says, exercise patience in waiting on the Lord, uh, th that his, his promises are always going to come later than your performance. That's what he's talking about there. We want, his, we want to have his promises first, and then we'll do it, you know. Uh, we're like Jacob, you know. Lord, if you'll bless me, I'll do this. You know? If you'll bless me, I'll tithe. You know? He said, if, if you'll do this, I'll do that. And the Lord says, turn it around and get it the other way. Look what he says there. He says, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. So do the will of God first. Do what you know to do is right first. Keep doing what you know to do is right. And then you'll receive the promise in due time. We want to plant the seed and eat the fruit the next day. But it takes time for the seed to germinate and for the plant to grow and for the flower to, to blossom and for the fruit to grow on the limb. It takes time. So he said, do what you know to do is right now and don't concern yourself because the promise that God gave you is coming. It's going to come. Uh, he's true to his word. He's never broken a promise. So keep that, uh, keep that in mind. He says, exercise the patience that needs to be exercised in between the doing the will of God and the receipt of the blessing that comes from doing the will of God. Okay, let's do that. Remember when they went back to the queen of heaven there and you read about Jeremiah, when they went back to worshiping the queen of heaven after they had made a half-hearted attempt to get right with God and to worship God. Remember what they said about that? They said, we tried that. They said, we tried worshiping God. We tried coming back, tried doing right. But bad things kept happening. And when we were worshiping the queen of heaven, good stuff was happening to us. And so we're going to go back to worshiping the queen of heaven. Remember their reasoning for that? Well, what they did was what so many do. They want to do right for a little while. And if God doesn't immediately demonstrate to them that, boy, there's heaps of blessing for doing this right and doing the right thing, then I'm just going to go back to doing my own thing. And what he's telling us as Christians is do this. Just faithfully, faithfully, faithfully do what you know to do is right. And uh, you'll come to the time where you see and you look back at your life and you look at all these promises that God has fulfilled in your life and blessed you with, taken care of you, and met needs. You'll look back on those things and say, now I get it, now I get it. So um, he wants us to exercise patience. The last thing he says to us is to keep in mind our Lord's promised return. Verse 37 there, he, uh, yet a little while, a little while, he that shall come will come. He's not going to tarry. He's got a time frame. He's got it all worked out. God's timetable is not our timetable. So he's got it all worked out. And he is uh, coming in due time. He's going to be right on time. The, uh, the train will pull into the station and pick you up right at the right time, you know, and you're going uh, to go to glory right at the right time. And so he says he's not tarrying. He's not late. He's not changed his mind. He said he that shall come will come. <laughs> and so he wants us to cling to that promise and keep in sight the return of our Savior. He said, okay, what, what I want to leave you with, he said this, what I want to leave you with until he does come again, he said it again three times in the Bible, this is the third time, he said, the just shall live by faith. He said, just do that. Just as a child of God, as a justified son of God, 
just live by faith until he does come again, until you do see the fulfillment of those, uh, of those uh, promises. Thank God we are not of those that draw back unto perdition, but we are, are those that uh, go forward in faith in Christ, believing on him to the saving of our soul. And so let's uh, stand together and give an invitation if you...